Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Lord Jesus, when you rose victorious from death, you gave us a day of great rejoicing. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone of our faith. We ask you to bless our sermon that cries of joys and exaltation ring out to celebrate the good news of your resurrection. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 118, verses 1 through 23. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel say now, yes, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say now, yes, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say now, yes, his mercy endures forever. Under pressure, I cried out to the Lord. The Lord answered me. He set me in a wide open space. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can people do to me? The Lord who is with me is my helper, so I will look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in human benefactors. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees, but they were extinguished as quickly as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. You pushed me hard to make me fall, but the Lord helped me. My strength and song is the Lord, and he has become salvation for me. Loud shouts of victory are heard in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord has done a mighty deed. The right hand of the Lord is lifted high. The right hand of the Lord has done a mighty deed. I will not die. No, I will live, and I will proclaim the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not handed me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter them. I will give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate to the Lord. The righteous enter it. I will give you thanks because you answered me and you have become salvation for me. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is from the Lord. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the word of our Lord. During Palm Sunday, I preached on the last half of this psalm, and we clearly saw that this psalm is messianic. It tells us about our Savior winning our salvation. And when we think about that salvation, we cannot help but to rejoice as it, the Hebrew word that we translate as thank the Lord is one of declaring praise, basically thankfulness bubbling over that you just can't help but to speak praises of the Lord because he's good. Now, the name often used for the Lord in this psalm is is a shortened name, and we'd almost pronounce it the Lord. It's poetic. And I want to point out that lots of times what we think is not taking the name of the Lord in vain is using a proper and a, a very prim and proper name for God. But lots of times... Names that are terms of endearment, if they're not meant in disrespect, not taking for, for uh, in vain the name of the Lord, they're fine with God because they're meant out of love. But it tells us to, be, to, to declare those praises because his committed love endures forever. And that means that God's committed to us even though you and I sin every day. So how can we not help but to praise the Lord? And verses 3 through 4 tell Israel, the nation, that would be the government, the people, and everything in the borders, to praise the Lord. 
It tells the house of Aaron. That would be the priest at that time. Now today, that priesthood has been, has been abolished because it's been fulfilled with the priesthood of all believers. So they praise the Lord. And, and the last one, those who fear the Lord, they're also to praise the Lord. And that would be the invisible church of all believers of all time. And so our sermon theme for today is praise the Lord for he is good. Now, I'm going to preach on my own Hebrew translation because there is a lot in the word pictures in that Hebrew language. And verse 5 says, From a tight spot I cried out to Yah, that would be the Lord, Yah answered me in an open place. Do you see the picture there in the action-adventure movies like Indiana Jones where they're stuck in the trap and the walls are closing in? Christ certainly would know what that was as he was on the cross and our sins were placed upon him. But he defeated our sins. He finds himself rising from the tomb and everything is wide open. And that is how you and I are delivered because you and I in our natural condition are slaves to our sinful nature who is controlled. It's the puppet of the devil and the world is constantly alluring it with the devil's lies. In that position, we are being squeezed straight to hell. And we cannot deliver ourselves. But God reached down with his mighty arm and pulled us out of that and set us in the wide open space of Christian freedom. The law no longer damns us because we have been washed clean in the blood of the lamb. Freedom. He has placed us so that heaven is our country. Heaven is a wide open place. It doesn't have the barriers and the restrictions in which we have to have the law telling us, no, don't. Because our new man gladfully and, and, and willfully and naturally stays with the will of the Lord. And of course, those of us who live in Wyoming have the privilege of living in a wide open space. Okay, I'm just joking there. But we see that tight spot that the Lord has delivered us so that we are saved. And verse 6 then continues with that salvation. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can men do to me? The Lord is always looking out for you. As Romans says, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called for that purpose. If God is turning everything into your good, what's the most men can do? Well, they can take your life, but God will give it back. You are alive spiritually in Christ and you will get a glorified body. And so our verse continues with the Lord's de uh, deliverance in verse 7. The Lord is for me as my helpers. Now, it's very interesting. We usually add a word like functioning or something like that here. The Hebrew word used here, functioning, is helpers. It's in the plural, and it's really a word for military help. When you're overwhelmed by another nation's army, and then suddenly, da-da, here comes a much vaster, larger, more powerful army that delivers you. And it's plural. I believe this is because God the Father is working for you. He's, he's ruling over all time. He has a plan. God the Son has redeemed you. He is interceding for you. And God the Holy Spirit literally lives in your heart using his word to strengthen and sustain your faith. When the devil comes at you, you could not stand up to him. Ah, but then you've got the triune God standing behind you telling the devil, give it a try. See how it works for you because I'm going to knock you down. What a wonderful picture we have. And so verse 7 continues, and so I myself will look into those who hate me. It's a strange way, and the Hebrew preposition is not look over, but it's 
into, as in seeing the inside. There's a military picture. If you can see inside a man, his guts have been spilled open, not to be too blunt. But God, God cuts open our enemies. He utterly destroys them. Jesus himself could see into his enemies because he's God. He could read their minds. And on Judgment Day, nobody's going to be able to lie to the Lord. Nobody will dare to lie to him. He can see those who had faith and those who hated him and those who just plumb didn't care. But for you and I, we can see our enemies' plots exposed because God is our God. And we know that one way or the other, God defeats them. Now, the beautiful way he defeats them is with men like Saul, who was persecuting the church when he converts them. But for those who despise and hate him, in the long run, you and I will see their plans exposed on Judgment Day. And even for those who like countries that persecute Christians, they don't outlast Christianity. The persecution is always for a short period of time. So God delivers us there too. And so verse 8 says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to put your confidence in humanity. Jesus had a, twi a tight group of friends. And on the night, that, on Monday, Thursday, the night he's betrayed, he even tells them, that the devil had asked to sift them like wheat. And they said, we'll never betray you. Of course, Judas is already planning on doing it. We'll never abandon you. But right after Jesus heals Malchus's ear that Peter had lobbed off, and he says, I am he, let these men go. The, the disciples flee in terror, and they stay away. Only one will come to the cross. That was Jesus's best friend, John. If we put our hope in humanity, sometimes human beings mean well, but they don't have godly powers to come to our help, do they? They'll let us down. And humans do tend to be self-serving because we have a sinful nature. So verse 9 reiterates that with a little extra twist. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to place confidence in benefactors. Those who are in a position to do something good for you. For example, Pilate was in a position to free Jesus. And Pilate saw Jesus was innocent. But he just shuffled him off and tried to make him Herod's problem. Well, Herod saw Jesus was innocent. But he shuffled him back to Pilate and tried to make him Pilate's problem. There again, those, whether, whether we're talking about government, and remind that, remember that right now, with COVID striking, with government in ways that depend on which political party you belong to, when the other party's in charge, you think everything's going apart and we're going to lose our, 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 our republic. Remember, God's in charge. That government will let you down. Don't let it be your God. But God has a plan and he's ruling for you, making everything work for your good. So the psalmist continues, all the nations surrounded me in the name of the Lord. Over and over again, I cut them off completely. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me in the name of the Lord. Over and over again, I cut them off completely. They surrounded me like bees. They've been extinguished as quickly as a fire in thorns. In the name of the Lord, over and over again, I cut them off completely. Now, Jesus truly was surrounded by the nations as the people cried out, crucify, crucify. There were Jews from all over the world shouting that out. But you know what? There were Gentiles in the Roman army that were from all over the world that were not Jewish, that were also involved. And your and my sins were placed upon Jesus as well. But Jesus defeated our sins. And as I said, he either defeats our enemies by making them his brothers and sisters or by destroying them for their rejection in an eternity in hell. You and I can tell the world, throw your worst at me, because God has saved me. God cuts them off by washing away their sin, or by saying, I hold your sin against you now, because you are rejecting me. 
And so verse 13 says, you really pushed me to make me fall, but the Lord helped me. And the Hebrew there has that picture of somebody actually driving somebody, pushing them along, chasing them, hoping that they collapse in exhaustion. And if they overtake them before they do, pushing them hard down to the ground, which isn't too hard to do because they're exhausted from being chased. The devil thought he had taken care of Jesus when he was on the cross But he had no idea that that's actually how Jesus was going to defeat him because his blood washing away our sins takes away all the devil's accusations and lies. You and I can say that too. The world hates you for being a Christian. Let the devil throw his worst at you. God is not going to let them drive you to collapse. He will keep you in your faith. He is your helper. And oftentimes God rules over temporary things in this world and foils their plans. But even if they can take your life, God has a plan that he's working there. He's allowed it to happen to give you heaven. And so we praise the Lord for he is good. Over and over again in these verses, we see God's deliverance, especially in the deliverance that Jesus has given to you and I by saving us. Truly, we have a reason to praise the Lord for his deliverance. Verse 14 takes a new aspect of that deliverance. He says, my strength and song is Yah. Again, that's a contraction for the Lord. And so he became salvation for me. What a beautiful picture. A child who who can't lift something that's really heavy and he's in trouble. And daddy comes along and no problem arm curls that. You and I forget often that when it comes to salvation, we cannot save ourselves. We can't contribute. We can't do one little iota. But when God is our strength, well, that's why God took on human flesh. He did all the work to save us. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to create that new man in us. God is our strength. And when he uses his strength to save you, then you are saved. How wonderful that is to know we are in our our loving father's arms, protected and safe because he's our power. Many years ago, a famous politician said, religion is a crutch for the weak. You know, the sad thing is, is that person's come to be known as somebody who isn't so strong, who seems to be not mentally stable in some of the things he says. When we look at the reality of this spiritual world and understand we are slaves to the devil and cannot free ourselves, we say, yes, God is my strength. I am weak. But in God, you have all the power that you need. Verse 5 says, the sound of a shout for joy and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. That's believers. We cannot help but to shout for joy and rejoice in in salvation because God is our strength. He did all the work so you and I can't screw it up. The right hand of the Lord performs a mighty thing. As verse 16 says, the right hand of the Lord is lifted high. The right hand of the Lord performs a mighty thing. The mightiest thing God did was put our sins on his shoulders, die for us, and then rise. Surely he is lifted up. He is on high. He is our strength, especially when it comes to our salvation. But even in the mundane things of our regular lives, God is ruling over creation using his might. So we praise the Lord for he is good. He is your power. That absolves a lot of our anxiety, doesn't it? I'm worried, what happens if I lose my job? I'm worried, how am I going to be a good parent to my child? I'm worried my child is sick. I'm worried the car's breaking down and I can't get to work. I'm worried gas is skyrocketing again. God is your power. You can come to him in prayer because Jesus is your intercessor and say, Lord, you don't have to give him the answer. You don't even have to know the answer. Lord, 
I'm nervous. I'm scared. I have anxiety. Here you go. God, your parent. He'll take care of that. It amazes me the things I've lost sleep over time and time again. How a few days later I wake up and realize, why was I sweating that? God took care of that one. So we praise the Lord for he is good. He's already delivered you. The empty tomb, Christ's resurrection are the proof of that. His word tells you so. But we also see he is your power. Verse 17 says a beautiful thing. I will not die because I will live. And I will count up and describe the works of Yah. Again, that's the Lord. Jesus Christ himself could say this, that he rose from the grave. And he could then tell us, as he appears to the Emmaus disciples, what all the Old Testament, New Testament is about. But you and I know you can take my life, but I will not truly die. I'm not going to hell. That's eternal spiritual death. And my body might decompose. But because of the new man uh, that the Holy Spirit created, I'm going to heaven to be before the throne of the Lord. And so we cannot help but to, it's an accounting term, count up all the different ways God is always at work in our lives. The way we see that we are alive in him with the new man he's created. We're connected to Christ as a branch is to the vine. We are members of the invisible church. And so we can't help but to share. Yes, Christ is my life. I'm alive in him. Verse 18 says, yeah, that's the Lord has really disciplined me, but he's not given me over to death. I like to make it. I like to separate out the word punishment. When God punishes us, that's the punishment for sin is an eternity in hell. For believers, God has taken that. Unbelievers say, no, thanks. I'll take the punishment myself. They reject it in their unbelief. But he does like a father who loves his children, disciplines them to help us so that we don't reject the Lord in unbelief or by embracing a sin. So yes, the Lord disciplines us. He'll allow hard things to come upon us actually to keep us in our faith because we are alive in him. And so we praise the Lord for he is good because he is your life. He's given you that new man that is saved. And how can you know that he is saved? Verse 19, which we covered on Palm Sunday, says, Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter them. I will give thanks to the Lord. These are gates that that keep the unrighteous out. You and I cannot enter those gates in our natural condition. We're in that tight spot that's going to squeeze us and kill us, drive us to hell. But Christ took on human flesh for you and I so that he could live his life perfectly righteous in your place. Never once even thinking an unholy thought. And then his death, his blood washes your sins away and he gives you his righteousness. Your new man is connected to him. Your new man is righteous. So you can walk through those gates. So long as you have faith in the Lord, which the Lord gives you, you have that new man, you have Christ's righteousness. How can you not help but to give thanks to the Lord? Verse 20 says, this is the gate of the Lord. Those who are righteous are entering into it. You've often heard me say we have to pay attention to the prepositions. And the preposition here can be one of possession, that God owns the gate. The preposition can also be that it takes you to the Lord so that you can be in his presence. And let me add that next weekend is Good Shepherd Sunday. And the gospel lesson is a portion of John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the gate. He protects the sheep, but he's also the one who the sheep enter the pen through. So we see here that Jesus is the gate that gives us access to God. He is God. The gate leads us to God and God owns the gate. He's also our intercessor. And so when you and I pray to the Lord, Jesus says, I've covered him. I've covered that person with my blood. Truly, Christ is our righteousness and he's the gate that has made us righteous and he gives us direct access 
to God who is our power, our strength, and our deliverance. And so we see that those who are righteous are entering into it. Verse 21 gives our response to that. I will declare your praise for you answered me and you have become salvation for me. By giving you his righteousness, even though you and I in and of ourselves are not righteous, he's made a new man who's connected to to him who is righteous in you and I. That new person is going to outlive the grave. That new person is alive in Christ who is our righteousness. And so we declare praise to God. Verse 22 says, a stone the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. In our first lesson for this Sunday in Acts chapter 4, Peter quotes this to the Sanhedrin. One of the many times we see Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm. But see, human beings, they look at Christ and they go, gee, salvation that God does all the work? I want it to be my righteousness. Never mind the fact that I refuse to see I'm unrighteous. I want it to be that I gave enough uh, to charity and enough offerings. I want to say that I've made my decision. But when the Holy Spirit comes to you and says that Jesus is your power, Jesus is your righteousness, that Jesus is your Savior, he puts you on top of that cornerstone that is Christ, and you are there with all the other stones that make up the invisible church of the Lord. And because our new person is connected to Christ, our new person is perfectly righteous. We form the temple of the Lord that is the invisible church. We are righteous and alive in Christ. And so we cannot help but to add those words of verse 23. This is from the Lord and it's marvelous in our eyes. It is a miracle. We can't do it, but God did. And so we praise the Lord for he is good because he is your righteousness. Skipping ahead to the very last verse of this Psalm, Psalm 29, it repeats what verse one said. Declare praise to the Lord for he is good. His committed love endures forever. And with the new person that he's created, we're able to step back and see the work Christ did, building up to Good Friday, to his death, building up to Easter, to his resurrection, his ascension and his continual rule for you and I. And we cannot help but to praise the Lord for he is good. He has delivered you. He is your power. He is your life. You are alive in him. He is your righteousness so that you wear Christ's righteousness and your new person is righteous in him. Amen. Now may the God of peace who brought back from the dead that great good shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ, equip you with everything good for doing his will. Amen.